This is Bang Goes the Universe, a walking, talking, four-dimensional tour of the people and the science behind one of the greatest discoveries of all time, the Big Bang. I'm your host, Ron Baller, writer, producer, astro-enthusiast, science communicator, and author of Hubble, Hummison, and the Big Bang. This podcast is an attempt to demystify the science behind Big Bang cosmology by working through the developments in modern thought that slowly led us to our current state of play. In this episode, we'll go back to ancient Greece to review the lives of three members of the first Western school of thought, who through a century of discourse and debate ushered in the age of Greek scientific philosophy. This is episode three, The Milesians. In our last episode, we reviewed some of the ancient myths of creation and discussed their significance to our collective evolution as a species. These myths, far from being the arcane, rusted armature of our lost ancestors, played a vital role in developing our ability to reason and creating a new, more cognitive understanding of the world we live in. I can only imagine how many thousands or millions of myths like these have been told across the universe at large. We don't know for sure how and when these myths developed here on Earth, or whether they were disseminated between different groups of humans, from Erectus to Neanderthal to Sapiens. The evidence is scant at best and predates written accounts. Obviously, we Sapiens are the survivors of that history, and the last, if there were others, to use myths of creation for social, metaphysical, and cosmological constructs. What we are pretty clear on is the origins of scientific reasoning, the point at which we began to look for solutions to creation in our existence that required theory and experimentation, rather than the simple arbitrary attributions to supernatural beings. In Western history, that distinction is generally given to a group known collectively as the Milesians. It is nice to be able to zero in on a time, a place, and a people from whom we may draw a line through history, weaving together the development of human thought, theory, and experimentation. But we should also remember that the Milesians were not probably the first philosophers. They were probably not the first to begin to propound new ideas as to the nature of nature. And they were probably not the first to be allowed to produce such ideas. Theirs was probably not as even my favorite books on the subject conclude, part of a sudden outbreak of tolerance for existential theories on natural beginnings. These things tend to unfold over time. As the science writer Stephen Johnson explains in his wonderful book, How We Got to Now, the conditions on the ground tend to predict how a culture will evolve into the future. The events and occurrences of preceding generations often develop into new insights and inventions in subsequent generations. In other words, thought and invention don't erupt at a given point in history, but creep into existence over time. But we have to draw the line somewhere, my friends, so let's begin our discussion of Thales and the Milesians around the turn of the 6th century BCE in modern-day Turkey. We don't have Thales in writing. We rely on others like Aristotle, who lived some two centuries after Thales and the Milesians parted the scene for an account of his teachings. 
Just like Aristotle and others, Thales' thoughts on the nature of the universe were likely to have descended from other thoughts swirling in the air around his hometown of Miletus at the time. Again, were the Milesians the first philosophers? The answer is probably not. They are our best-known link to the history of Western thought leading to the modern scientific era. Were they the first scientists? No, we can't really call the work of the Milesians science. Of the three members of the Milesian school, Thales, Anaximander, and Anaximenes, the last of the three came the closest to what we might regard as a scientific theory. But we should think of their work as more a scientific philosophy. More specifically, the Milesian school was dedicated to early physiology. This is not to be understood in the modern biological context, but from the roots of the word itself. Physis is the Greek word meaning nature and logos, meaning rational account. So we might say that they were looking for a rational account of nature, or, as we said earlier, a non-supernatural understanding of the origin of the universe and life itself. Were they the first mathematicians? No, we can't say that at all. Mathematics had been around for hundreds of years prior to the advent of the Milesian school. Ancient civilizations in Sumer, Babylon, Egypt, early city-states in Mesopotamia, we're all using practical forms of mathematics to form economic and architectural structures in their societies. Cuneiform tablets from ancient Babylon provide evidence that the Babylonians had a Pythagorean theorem well before the great Greek mathematician walked the earth. Don't worry, Pythagoras lovers, he's the subject of episode 5 of this season, so stay tuned for that. Thales himself is said to have spent time in Egypt learning Egyptian geometry and returning home with it. At the time, Miletus had colonies near Cairo. The Milesians were known to be expert and daring sailors, so it isn't a stretch to think that Thales could have made the journey. Were they the first astronomers? The Milesians were definitely interested in cosmogony, the study of the origins of the universe. Of that, there is no seeming doubt. However, the Babylonians provided the earliest accounts of astronomical matter some 5,000 years ago. Before the Copernican Revolution, astronomy and astrology weren't as opposed to each other as they are today. It should come as no surprise, given our discussion so far, that astrology was a process of divination, telling the fate of individuals based on the locations of various known planets and constellations at birth. It was, nevertheless, highly regarded as a predictor of fate that flourished from Istanbul to China. It's very popular even today. In fact, I'd say more than 50% of people who learn of my astro-enthusiasm ask me if I'm an astrologer. Now, I have had my natal charts done and was quite entertained by what the stars portended at the moment of my birth. But the astro boy in me has more faith in the science than he sees science in the faith. For purposes of our discussion, let's just say that astrology had a hand in the development of astronomy. And more to the point, the Milesians were not the first astronomers. So why do they matter? Well, probably the best answer to this is that, as we said earlier, they represent the beginning of a thread of philosophical and theoretical reasoning that has been woven over centuries into the tapestry of modern science. We may also take stock in the fact that the likes of Herodotus, Socrates, Plato, and Pythagoras regarded them as the first of the Western philosophers. Today we refer to the Milesians as the earliest members of the pre-Socratic philosophers, or simply the pre-Socratics, meaning those who came before Socrates. 
I'm sure you probably figured that out for yourself. Let's remember that only 12,000 years ago, we were still in the last ice age. Massive ice flows covered much of the upper hemisphere, and the human population was something like 5 million. That's roughly that of modern-day Ankara in Turkey, near the epicenter of our current discussion. As the ice sheets began to break up roughly 10,000 years ago, our hunter-gatherer ancestry began farming. Again, this shouldn't be taken as a switch being flipped, but a gradual movement toward more sedentary communal structures. Plants and animals were domesticated. Brickwork became more prevalent, making it easier to build bigger and higher and more durable. During the Copper Age, dozens of languages were being spoken between Istanbul and China as the human population began to swell. As bronze slowly replaced copper during the 4th millennium BCE, we find the first known large population center in the ancient city-state of Uruk in Mesopotamia, modern Iraq, around 3100 BCE. There we find the economics, bookkeeping, standards of measure and weight that spreads to Egypt by the end of the century. The use of a 365-day solar calendar, a 12-month calendar, and the concept of an hour as one twelfth part of a day or night were used in the kingdom of Ur down to the middle of the 27th century BCE. Around that time, the great stone structures of the ancient world began to arise, from the sands of Egypt, the stony grasslands of Britain, and the Supe Valley of Peru. Writing was becoming more efficient, if not more indelible, as papyrus began to replace clay tablature. Not long after, fiction writing emerged, as pieces like the Epic of Gilgamesh, a story of love won and lost, and life and death fell upon the eyes of readers for the first time. One highly notable event was the emergence of the first known empire led by Sargon of Akkad, or Sargon the Great, around 1800 BCE. Sargon ruled over Mesopotamia, modern Iraq, Anatolia, modern Turkey, and the Levant, modern Syria, Lebanon, and Israel, for nearly six decades, bringing together people of various beliefs and cultures, and inculcating his own beliefs into two or more generations of them. The emergence of empire, bringing together increasingly vast and diverse communities under one collective roof, so to speak, set the stage for the dissemination of new and increasing forms of collective reasoning, religion, science, socially normative behaviors, progressive systems of government, and nearly every framework of modern society known globally today. Our present story begins in Miletus, a powerful city-state formed out of the Hittite Empire sometime around 1000 BCE, on the southwestern shores of modern-day Turkey, near the town of Balat. By now, iron was replacing bronze in tool and weapon making, and the human population, having grown to more than 50 million, was extending across the European complex and the Americas. The first known depiction of the cosmos, a bronze medallion with gold inlays of the sun, moon, and stars, dating from this time, was found near Leipzig, Germany. Lunar eclipses were being accurately predicted near modern Berlin. Further east, in India, Taxila University, the first center for higher learning, arose around 900 BCE. There, students were taught, among other things, a kind of atomic philosophy that said that all things were made up of atoms, the collection and distribution of which was determined by cosmic forces. This was being taught alongside the reading of spiritual texts. Either due to war or religious dogma or a turn toward the philosophy of human life rather than life itself, 
atomism wouldn't arrive in the Greek context until the 5th century BCE in the form of Leucippus and his more famous pupil Democritus. The games of the first Olympiad began in 776 BCE. Armies would lay down their weapons every four years to engage in athletic competition. In his Lives of Eminent Philosophers, Diogenes Laertius wrote that an aging Thales died of heatstroke while watching the games of the 58th Olympiad. Laertius was writing 700 years or so after Thales' death, and we can't be sure of his sources. Right around the time Homer was writing the Iliad in 700 BCE, Miletus was an epicenter for art, architecture, theater, literature, and philosophy. The influence of this once great Ionian city-state may be seen today in the ruins of the theater of Miletus, the Temple of Apollo, the Faustina Baths, and the Great Park, the Sacred Way, with its magnificent stoa, or open-roof meeting places. By the middle of the 6th century BCE, Miletus would be subsumed in the expanding Persian Empire under the leadership of the powerful king Cyrus the Great, but for the moment it was a cultural powerhouse. It was during this period that the Milesian school was created. Rather, the three men who made up the school were created. What I mean is, this wasn't a brick-and-mortar institution. It was a school of thought that originated with Thales and continued with Anaximander and Anaximenes. Now, at the time, the head of Zeus was the most recognizable character in any Greek square. New, more metaphysical philosophies on the origin of life and mankind were not well received in most quarters. But here in the open air of Miletus, there was enough tolerance for such debate to begin, and begin it did. The founding principle for the Milesians was the idea that the world must be made up of some unseen, underlying universal substance. They reasoned that everything was in a state of becoming, and that everything differentiated itself from everything else. But what was the source of all this becoming, they asked? They decided the answer was a substance that propelled the world. This they referred to as the arche, or ruler and originator. What was the animating force of this arche, you may wonder? Incidentally, this is still a major point of confusion amid the ranks of the science fields. As the microbiologist Nick Lane points out in his terrific book, The Vital Question, we just don't know why life on Earth began. This may account for the more than 50% of scientists who today say they believe in God or some higher power. The Milesians weren't concerned with such matters, though. In accordance with Greek hylozoistic beliefs of the day, their arche was divine, intelligent, endowed with spirit, the ruler of birth, transformation, and death. Just what this supermaterial source was made of was the point at which the Milesians differed. Thales was born in the last quarter of the 7th century BCE to Phoenician and Greek parents, possibly of some noble order. He is the first member of the Milesian school, and according to Plato and others, is regarded as the first of the seven sages of ancient Greece. To the philosophers, Thales' name was legendary. He was said to have predicted the solar eclipse of May 28, 585 BCE. Herodotus would later submit that Thales predicted the year, not the day. Regardless, this story, true or not, probably contributed to his legend. Thales' general philosophy was fairly simple. To know thyself was hard. To give advice was easy. That which is infinite is God. 
and to not do what we blame others for doing is to live virtuously. The theme of this last notion was later picked up by Socrates and others. Interesting to note that the Greeks believed there were four essential substances in the world, air, fire, earth, and water. But while the Milesians were bent on proclaiming some underlying substance, or arche, only one of them, Anaximander, chose from outside the realm of the four essential substances. Thales believed the earth was flat and floated on water, and that therefore the arche must be water. Disturbances in this watery bed were the cause of earthquakes, he surmised. The fact that Thales' suppositions about the earth and water were largely incorrect is less important than the fact that he was creating a theory that strayed from the belief that all watery things in the Greek world were governed by the god Poseidon. The second Milesian, Anaximander, was born in the last decade of the 7th century BCE and died around the same year as his slightly older mentor, Thales. Anaximander's legacy is better understood. He was known to have created one of the first maps of the world around 550 BCE. Like others of its kind, it showed only those lands known to him, which consisted of Anatolia, Mesopotamia, and the Levant, surrounded by ocean. Anaximander believed the Archaea was an unlimited and boundless substance he called the Aperon, that separated into the proportional opposites, hot and cold, wet and dry. These were mixed together and later distilled into the four essential elements, fire and earth, water and air. Life began as a result of warm sunlight on the moist earth, and the first humans were born from fish and nurtured until they were strong enough to alight the earthen surface and fend for themselves. Anaximander had ideas about the cosmos as well. He believed the earth was cylindrical and flanked by concentric burning cylinders. The appearance of the sun, moon, and stars was caused by holes in these cylinders. As quirky as this may sound, it is in any event the first known attempt at a mechanical model of our solar system. He later wrote a book on the nature of things in which he laid out his philosophical ideas on universal and earthly beginnings. Here again, we see an Aximander veering away from the Greek dogma to explain the stars and elements. Where the Greeks commonly believed the stars were gods, he suggested they were merely holes in a great ring of fire encircling the earth. While the Greeks held that lightning was thrown down to earth by an angry Zeus, he suggested that actually it was caused by the splitting up of rain clouds. The last of the Milesians, Anaximenes, was born during the second decade of the 6th century BCE. Unlike his mentors, he would die as a citizen of the newly expanded Persian Empire. Anaximenes believed the air was the all-powerful Arche, and he gave a quasi-scientific explanation, or theory, for it as well. Air, he reasoned, was capable of both condensation and vaporization. Since air was capable of condensing into a substance like water, then it could condense still further into earth. And since it was capable of vaporizing from water into air, then it could vaporize still further into fire. In this way, air underlay the four essential elements. In building on and combining the teachings of his mentor, Anaximander, Anaximenes was displaying a scientific state of mind. Compound theories one built on the other. On the origins of the universe, Anaximenes was said to have spoken of a primordial seed from which all things disseminated. This brings to my mind Georges Lemaitre, 
and his primordial Adam of the 20th century CE, although there is no reason to believe he developed his ideas from the ancient Milesians. We'll discuss Lemaitre at a much later stage of the story. In this episode, we have seen how the Milesians, Thales, Anaximander, and Anaximenes set in motion the long journey of Western scientific development through their initial inquiries into the origins of the universe and life on Earth. As the historian William Guthrie wrote in A History of Greek Philosophy, the ideas of Thales and other Milesians created a bridge between two worlds, the world of myth and the world of the mind. These early philosophers made three critical steps forward in the development towards scientific thought and discovery. One, a move away from supernatural explanations for the origin of the universe. Two, the introduction of a universal substance out of which all life began. And three, beginning the movement toward physics and cosmology. In our next episode, we'll explore further the role of the pre-Socratics in the creation of natural theories of the nature and origin of the universe. These early thinkers were the source of several breakthroughs in scientific reasoning that took place by the end of the 2nd century BCE. That concludes this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to like or subscribe to the show for updates on future episodes as they're published. We really appreciate the support. If you have any questions or comments about or for current or future episodes, please leave them in the comments section or email them to me at contact at ronballer.com. Bang Goes the Universe is written, produced, and hosted by me, Ron Baller. Thanks to Mark Baller for providing the theme music. See you next time.